Taylor Campbell. I'm excited today to have on Jim Van Allen. Jim, how are you today? I'm great, Jen. Good to be here. Good to have you here. I'm really excited. Where are you calling in from? Florida, sunny Florida, <gasps> South Florida, eight minutes from the beach. Yeah. Oh, one of our one of my sons just told us that he asked for a transfer in his job to go to Fort Lauderdale. We're in Reno, Nevada, and I am not just a little jealous. I am more than that. So that I love heat. that. You get that desert heat out there. So oh, <laughs> yes, and cold. Yeah, I want you to jump into your story. I've I've just looked at your websites a little bit, and I love the picture of your family. You have one, uh, your beautiful wife and the kids, and the kids are kind of being goofy, which they do from time to time. So I would love to hear your the story behind the photos that I've seen. And we also have um, one on the way too, which is uh, super Yay! exciting for us as a family. Yes, I'm super excited about that. And that's, you know, that's the funny thing about a story is that you think your story is complete and actually it's never complete, right? No. And it's not. So we thought we were done with kids. Uh, I have two children. I have two boys. They're eight and six right now. Okay. You know, we're happy. We're, you know, we're, we're in a groove, right? I think a lot of parents listening, right? They get into a groove with work with kids and sports and all that. And so my youngest is six. I'm like, eh, we were going back and forth, whether we're going to have that third or not. And like we broached the conversation in 2018 and wow. now it took five years, right. For us to, I didn't want a third and she did. And then, it, then the, the line kind of crossed and I started wanting uh, a, a, a third and then she kind of did. And then we kind of came back to the middle again. It was funny how it worked. Um, so that's that's the cool thing about our story is that it's still going on and we're gonna be welcoming a baby girl into our <gasps> family. Yes, yeah, so we get my get my girl, which I'm super super thrilled about. Um, in uh, late late August, so we will now be complete. I can tell you, we will be done. <laughs> but you know what's funny about that is um, in high school, you know, you know, high school. I wrote a letter to myself as part of a class project. It was one of those like time capsule type things, right? That you do in English class. And I wrote a letter to myself and I talked about myself in the future. And I talked about kids I was going to have and stuff that I was going to do in job wise. And I mentioned how I would love to have a baby girl. And this was a 17 year old like kid. Like I talked about, how I'd love to have a baby girl and be, be, do the girl dad things. And, and my wife read that letter like years later and she's like, well, we have to have a girl. And this is when we were like in the done period, you know? So I've, um, I've always wanted a baby girl. I, I'm one of those sensitive souls, you know, and, uh, want to, want to walk her down the aisle and, and do the tea party type things. And I'm kind of that kind of dad, you know, like I'm that dad who, and I work from home and I travel, I work from home a little bit. And so I'm, I'm able to like be the only dude on the field trip. The only yeah. guy coming in for the, uh, you know, the, the, the parent slideshow, like, and my wife works part-time and stuff. So uh, it's been, um, so I'm excited about that phase. So we're, we're welcoming number three into this world. Uh, very, she's here. She's in my wife's belly, but very, very soon. So. And I know if that had been a boy and you had, she had been a boy mom and you had been a boy family, you would have been equally as happy. But I think it's so great how that connected from your 17 year old self and that you're excited about that. That's a great example to other dads out there. I love that. How fun. See, yeah. No idea. Know, 
we talked about like my wife and I talked about like, you know, not not going for the third in hopes of trying to have a girl. Right. Because you can't do that. Right. Like you're not you're not in really control of that. So we really had we really came to the decision. We're like, you know what? Like we are happy either way. And we were legit about that because who would want to be disappointed getting a gender reveal test? Right. That's not that just seems awkward and odd. So if we had, we were going to have another boy, we would have been thrilled because, you know, we know, how to, we know how to raise boys and the world needs more strong, you know, some strong men leading, leading the way in their different areas. So we were excited about that, but super thrilled to have a girl uh, for sure. Uh, I know for sure for me, you know, I had pretty, I would say a traditional upbringing to an extent. Uh, we were, we were doing great as a family, mom and dad together. Uh, dad was an airline pilot, so he flew a lot. He was in and out a lot, but like 50% of American families out there, unfortunately, my parents did divorce. So, and I was probably third grade, I think. And I remember I had just seen the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, wow. And if you remember Mrs. Doubtfire, like they dealt with divorce. Yeah. And now obviously the Robin Williams dealt with it in a very unique way by, you know, cross-dressing to be the nanny, but that's a different story. Uh, but that was my only experience with divorce. So when my dad sat us down for what, you know, that conversation, I'm air right. quoting now for your listeners. Uh, I remember blurting out, oh, like in Mrs. Doubtfire, like that was my only like context of what it was. And I would definitely say, you know, obviously like anything, things were never quite the same. Um, yeah. And for those parents listening who are, you know, who came from divorced households, you know, that there was just an extra whole, a bunch of extra layers that you had to work through um, as a child to, to get through that. And then parents who are listening, who maybe are divorced, you know, that like you are working so hard to make sure that your children are shielded and still loved and no, it wasn't their fault and stuff like that. So but my dad and I's relationship really started to splinter around high school where, you know, he's an odd guy, um, puts up a lot of walls. So I don't know if you know the type where, you know, you, you, you kind of cross him or say something wrong or rub him the wrong way and boom, he'll like never talk to you again. It's like, it's that, that type where very push away type pushed away his best friend and brother. And he's got other kids from a previous marriage. So very much like that. So we started to splinter a little bit and, you know, I've probably seen him only twice, maybe in uh, about 17 years now, you know, we really, I don't have a relationship with him. So I tell you that story because from hurt, right. And from feelings of, of abandonment a little bit, and there's, there's a whole no whole bunch of layers behind that story too. But for the most part, I had to develop like into being a parent basically or being a dad i should say basically on my own mm-hmm. you know i didn't have that strong father figure to lean on to say what do you do here how do you do this in a marriage how do you do this with kids you know i have a wonderful father-in-law who's awesome and uh, a, a mentor like figure that i work with with my my speaking and training i do for schools but Really, I developed it on my own, you know, how to be a good servant dad. And that's that's the way I like to look at things like being a a servant leader. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I understand it. I mean, I was 
I was a kid from divorced parents and I think it was a, a, a great thing that they got divorced. It was still a hard thing. And then I've been divorced. The, the one thing you don't want to do to your kids because you went through it was, it was awful that I had, I went through the same thing. So those are tough situations and your, your little kid eyes don't understand it. And then as an adult, like my, my barometer was, I want to do it better than my parents, but that wasn't a very high bar. So, but you don't have a context of, you don't know what it's going to be like to be a parent. You don't know how to do it. I don't think there should be a manual and there's not, everybody's different, you know? And so you're really kind of winging a prayer when you become a parent. And if you don't have that solid guidance from someone that makes it a lot more challenging. So what things did you feel were really important when you and your wife got married and you started having kids? What things were important to you to make sure you accomplished or that you did with your kids or the type of person? And then how did you go about that? I would say what was most important to us when we were pretty much starting that process is this, this thing that we truly are a team in this household mm. and that my wife and I were, were, were truly a team. There's a lot of give and take just with, um, just with household stuff like chores and management. Like I'm not afraid to, and she's, I'll tell you, like, I'm not tooting my own heart, but she's lucky. Like I, before I met her, I knew how to like, I was doing my own laundry and I was mm-hmm. cooking and like, I, like, I lived a clean life, clean houses, clean in my apartment. I wasn't a slob growing up or in college, you know, I took care of myself. I could, I could take care of myself and do things like yeah. that. So coming into the marriage, like, you know, she was like, Oh, you, you fold laundry. Yeah. Like, yes, this is normal. So I like being that kind of a husband and dad who is what I call the jack of all trades. Like, mm-hmm. sure. I can, um, earn a living and, and support us and, and protect us and all those dad things. But I also can, can cook and clean and do the car line every morning and wipe a tear yeah. and coach soccer team, like do all that stuff. So that was important for her and I to know that we're in this thing together. We don't have any set expectations for, well, you should, you have to do this and you have to do this and I'm not going to do this. And I think that helped put us on the same page as parents and, and, or as, as husband and wife, and then when we became parents, it's like, all right, you know, it's going to take both of us um, giving and taking, learning how to raise a, a baby, which we had zero experience with, like who does? We were one of the first babies welcome into our, our big family, but just taking the feeds at night, right. And, and taking him to the doctor when he's little and letting her go and do this and having a girl's night while I had the, the baby here and vice versa. So we were always great with that. We, we continue to be now we've been married for, uh, it'll be 14 years this uh, December. So we continue to really work at that. I think that's important for us is to support each other with our initiatives. And she's always super supportive when I have to go on the road to Mm-hmm. Uh, speak at a school and, 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 you know, write, writing a book and I'm supportive of her nonprofit work and the stuff that she's doing. And, and then when you have the kids involved, like we try not to undercut each other. Well, mom said this, but dad yeah. said this, like the undercutting is just because it just throws the other person under the bus. So we, we really try to be on the same page from a team perspective. I'm sure hopefully a lot of your parents can relate to that or say, you know what, maybe that's something we need to work on. I think like even college roommates, it's not just husband and wife, but anytime you're living with another person, I think 
it can naturally happen that you end up with roles, right? My, my, one of my girls, when she went to college, like she loved cleaning the kitchen. So that didn't mean her roommates could be total slobs and she would clean up after them. But that meant that she did the extra stuff in the kitchen and it was just sort of automatic. This person really likes to vacuum. You fall into roles of things that you like to do or that you're good at doing, or you figure out how to split things equitably. And I think that starts with siblings but differently when you go to college and again, when you're married. And I think there's no right and wrong, right or wrong way to break thing, things up as long as you're communicating about it and it's equitable and you both agree with it. And so I love that you guys have had that communication and that it's been important to equitably share the load in what, what way that that looks like. But so important to support each other like the girls nights out and that you writing your book or the whatever the thing is that you communicate and support each other right right and that's why like i mean i i'm such a my background is communication so like my master's in communication studies i teach communication classes online my podcast is called communicate to motivate like my life is communication so right and, but I'll tell you what, like, I'm not a, I'm not a natural, um, social communicator. I can do public speaking in my sleep. I, that's my main area forte. I can get up in front of a thousand people, but sometimes the, the small group thing I have to really work at. So I tell you that because, um, communication doesn't always come naturally to me. I have to work at it, which is why I think I've developed, I wanted to study it and teach it and teach it to other people. And that just goes to show you that you, you know, skills can be learned, right? Mm-hmm. Learning is not what, what you're born with, what you grow up with is not just, just stays the same. We're always scaffolding on top of things that we're learning. So if you, if there is a parent out there, you're like, Oh, my father was a poor communicator. My mother, I come from a poor line, a line of bad communicators. Or, so it's hopeless for me. You're blaming your genes for everything. Sure. You may have certain tendencies, right. To be quieter or a little more introverted or whatnot. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to live there. Right. And I, all I do is I talk to people about how you can improve your communication skills and your leadership skills and how you can run your schools better. You don't have to accept the status quo, right? You can't, you don't just say it is what it is. No, you can pick up a book. You can listen to a podcast. You can trial and error things. You can get your mindset and your mentality in the right position. So you're like, you know what, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a little bit more assertive, right? In the world. All right. I'm going to try to talk to my spouse and say, let me, let's sit down and just, let me just get this off my chest and let's talk about this instead of just holding it in because mm-hmm. you're afraid of that conversation. You're afraid of the awkwardness that it can, can bring about talking about whatever you got to talk about. But I guarantee you it's going to be more awkward in the future when you let years go by mm-hmm. and it's built up. Now you've built it into this giant Taj Mahal of, issue when in reality it's probably the size of a pea yeah right? and that's what we do in our brains we ruminate ruminate we think 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 we build this stuff up because we're never dealing with it and if you don't deal with it where there's a gap in communication negativity comes in and that's how it works have to be able to communicate and talk on a regular basis got to be intentional 
I agree. I, you know, we, I think there are different things that are like, I have different things that are important to me than you have for you. For me with my kids, one thing that was important was creating traditions. And that didn't mean that it was forcing them to have this tradition forever. Traditions in my mind helped us create certain memories in a structured way. And it was also an opportunity for them to take those memories and traditions with them. And another thing that was important to me was date night. And so that one still, you know, we're down to the last child at home and she's 13 and date night is still, I am, uh, I am a much better version of myself when we get our date nights. And so I think it's important also that whatever your priorities are in your relationship and your family, that person's not going to know if you don't have those conversations. And that's really important. And they're not going to know if it's not happening and you're irritated that it's not happening. So uh, yeah, I think that communication, it's, it becomes volcanic if you don't have it. And that's not healthy. No, and that's where you see most of the problems is people holding stuff in. And then, you know, you, you get this, you get these passive aggressive feelings that come out. I always yeah. say whatever, whatever you're holding in, it's going to find a way to come out, whether it's that volcanic way you described or more often than not, it, it trickles out in like your, your negative nonverbals, your your scoffs, your, 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 your quips, you're going to put at them, you know, you're just your, your tone of voice, mm -hmm. you know, just the way you choosing not to spend time with somebody like it's going to come out somehow the body always nonverbally is, has a way of putting out out there. And that's when you just leave a, a, a trail of just, you know, just a trail that's nonverbals that somebody's like, they're not being themselves. They haven't been themselves for a while. Well, they, cause they, they're not, talking about things they're not communicating about things and, yeah you know you, you brought up date night and stuff i know my wife and i like to we 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 like to still obviously go out with friends or just go out to, together or um we like we have family in the area that can watch the kids we love to just walk around our circle and and, and talk mm -hmm. as much as we can you know just walking we we always love to be active with each other and um you know work out and do things together so it, it's um People who say they don't have time, it's almost like you have to make these things a priority and find mm -hmm. a way. I don't have that secret answer. You don't have family area, whatever the case is. But, you know, even if you put the kids to bed and you 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 make it special, you're not just sitting in front of the TV. Well, you know what? Let's get takeout. I remember during COVID, like um, we, we just get takeout. We would go to our back room. And I remember I put on when, when I say during COVID in Florida, it lasted about a month. But right. we, uh, we put our uh, TV screen on and we had a beach scene on in our back room. And uh, I got us a bottle of wine and some takeout. And we just had nice. nights back there. And the kids were in bed and like it, it was awesome. Like, you know, and it was just it was we had some really quality conversations and we continue yeah. to do that. But once again, um, relationships and the time you spend with them are a choice. Like yeah. communication is a choice. Yeah. And too often than not, people, they, they take the relationship for granted. They just assume, well, okay, they're here. They're, they're all in. They love me 100%. But they don't realize that by not communicating, by not dating, by not tending to the relationship, it slowly starts to kind of chip away at the structure of it. And then before you know it, right, you, there's some cracks that begin. And it just happens gradually over time. Yeah. It's like an ocean brushing up against the rock. It just sort of whittles that rock away a little bit at a time so you know becoming parents like just because we have kids and 
and kids take up a lot of time, don't they? Like, yes. A lot of time. We're about to bring a baby in the world, and we Crazy. we know like this is our last <laughs> summer, like of just the four of us. And my wife's stopping work in, in a couple of weeks, so she could be home for a while. Probably for two, three years, she wants to stay home. And we know this is our last summer of just the four of us. And we're just going to try to take it easy and travel and just be with each other before we know it gets a little crazier in the fall. Um, but we're definitely going to go on some fun dates for sure. Good. You've brought up your speaking and your podcast. And we have everything in the show notes, the um, jimvanallen.com which shows all that you have another website and I don't know, this is a chicken and egg. I don't know if kids came first or this came during kids, if it had any prompting after you were a parent, but you have the energy bus for schools. And I'd like to focus some time on that, talking about that. And I'd also, I'd like to know how it wove into your family. Sure. So I met the, the author's name is John Gordon, J O N Gordon. I met John my, probably 17 years ago when I was still a kid in college because I always wanted to be a, a speaker, right? A professional speaker, but it's a hard profession to just break into. Yeah. So I met John when he was on the up and up, and, and I interned with him for a number of years before I kind of was working for him full time. And then as he would get more speaking engagements, I became his, his, his number one trainer, and I would do engagements that he couldn't do or go to. and you know, sort of building that team. So I built that up enough where his number one book, The Energy Bus, which teaches people about how to how to you know be more positive and work together, and it's a, it's a story. It's a great story. Um, a lot of schools started reading this book, but they wanted more. They you know school can't just do a book study and expect to have some culture change. So we started mm -hmm. together this Energy Bus for Schools program, where schools can take the principles that this book teach and use them all year long in their classrooms with their students so starting to teach these fun rules about and when i say rules more like principles uh, create a positive vision right uh, fuel your ride with positive energy no bullies allowed love your passengers enjoy the ride all about how to have this positive mindset so now schools can take this and you know they have resources they can do inside the classroom there's coaching for the administrators it's a culture building um program that's really what it's about okay that lasts the entire year so the work became really personal to me to build this program up and to go speak i go speak at uh, you know schools around the entire country and you know on professional development days but the work became really personal to me I, when we started having kids because now that my boys are in elementary school and I, of course, I cared before I had kids, but now I care even more because not only do I want my child's school to be, uh, you know, just a positive culture and this engaging, wonderful place. I want all of our schools to be like that as well. So I, when I go and I talk to teachers and I talk to the students via fun assemblies, we'll have fun with the kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I always picture my own two boys maybe sitting out in that audience, right, and listening to this message and saying, here's how you can have a better mindset towards life and be more positive and and have a vision and, and don't pick on each other, not have bull, don't be a bully. So the work that I do became much more personal uh, that I have kids and, you know, there's an, there's an energy bus for kids book that I've been able to go into my kids classroom and read it to their, to their classes and talk to these kids about what the energy bus is teaching. So, uh, and then John and I are doing a book called the energy bus for schools that's mm -hmm. coming out this fall. It's written. It's just in that, 
you know, edit limbo. And when you're writing a book, it's all about editing and making sure it's, you know, uh, making sure it's right. So we're trying to put a lot of resources out there to help our schools as much as possible. And we know that it's, it's difficult right now in education, but we choose to believe that you can create positive campus cultures if you're intentional about it, if you're intentional with leadership and getting the right people on your bus. So energybusforschools.com to find out more about that program. It's a great program. I've read a little bit about it and really doing a lot of a lot of positivity and training teachers, which, you know, it's so interesting with the kids, my kids in school. I only ever had an issue with a teacher one time that was really an issue with the teacher. Otherwise, uh, the teachers weren't really the issue, although I I feel personally like they're struggling and, and for Nevada, Nevada is listed as the worst state in the nation for schools, uh, which is, I mean, we're the, <laughs> there's only one way to go from here, right? right? There's, uh, and that's been really challenging. And that comes from like a superintendent, uh, the people that are running the board right. um, and not from the teachers, which was a good thing for me to understand and realize that they're kind of trying to do the best they can in a situation where they really feel stuck. I love that your program teaches kind of everyone on how to do this and become a more positive environment when schools aren't doing well the environment isn't positive you have a curriculum so is the curriculum mostly for the teachers and leaders of the school both so okay. there's there's an activity guide that usually teachers will do with their students so it'll say you know the activity guide will say create a positive vision okay. they, they teach on that rule a little bit that principle and then there's like five or eight activities that the teacher will do with the students over the next few weeks, one activity a week before they jump okay. to the next principal. And then there's also some things for the teachers to do on their own in staff meetings where they can have those, those hard conversations uh, about how to build culture and, and what, how the energy bus principles apply to that process. Cause when you're trying to build culture, you got to have, make sure people have a vision. You got to make sure they believe um, you have to make sure that, Everybody feels valued and heard and you communicate well. So it, we give them things to talk about to guide that discussion over there. Right. You use music too, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So if, if you, so if, if you bring me in to speak, I always, I mean, I'm an old school WWE fan. Like I always have <laughs> an entrance song <laughs> to come in, I try to get the audience going, you know, and, and then as there, as I, I always bring people up on stage, so I'll do convocations where, you know, everybody comes together, all the whole yeah. district, there could be 500 people, could be a thousand. I always bring people on stage, I play some walk-up music, we have fun, I have exit, so I'm always, music really, as soon as I started adding music to my stuff about eight years ago, it really changed things because, mm -hmm. um, People just love, I'll play fun, fun songs that they know uh, in the workshops when it's just a little more intimate, we'll play some background music while they're talking and listening. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just so much, it's much more fun, you know? I agree. I agree. And I think that when you're having fun, it's automatically putting you in that mindset of having a more positive environment. How I'd like to kind of wrap up with, 
I know you talked about communication and communicating with your wife. We've talked about that with this specific program, the energy and the positivity, and then doing that and then having kids and then bringing that into their schools. How, how do you think this has changed your family or what things from it have you used in your family to continue to have a positive difference in your family? Because I think that's something that you could give some tips to other families where on a smaller scale, what things that can they do? Because we talked about music, which I think is huge, but what are some things maybe that they can do in their family to encourage that? I would say one of the number one things that we've done and we try to work on with our kids is like the, the no complaining part. Um, and okay. we, my wife and I always have conversations about, we don't want our kids to feel, in, uh, to have entitlement. So right. you're like, no, you don't, you're not entitled to a dessert every night. No, you're not entitled. If he's got that toy, you don't, you can't just go and grab it and, and take it. And then just, and it becomes yours. You know, we, 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 we do great over here. Like we're, you know, we, we were able to go on vacation and, and go out to eat when we want to. And right. you know, we're, we're, we're blessed in that, in that, in that sense. Um, and we, we don't want our kids to be like, oh, it's Friday. We have to go out to eat. And I get, to, I get always get a dessert or a drink. So in saying that we try to, we try to teach them um, humble qualities and to be appreciative of the things that they have. And to be thankful as well that they do are able to do certain things, maybe that some kids cannot and that they're not entitled to those things. But if they have an, this attitude of gratitude towards life mm -hmm. and towards what they have, uh, that will help them not to complain as much about things <clears throat> because complaining doesn't get you anywhere, especially if you're not, if you're complaining to somebody who can't do anything about it, which a lot mm -hmm. of adults will do. They'll complain online or something and, it goes to deaf ears. Nobody can do anything about it. Right. So the program, you know, teaches kids about like mindset and what we say matters and what we think matters. So I've tried to bring that into our household and say, listen, like we need to, we're, we're if there's one thing you're going to be known for when you leave this house, like you're going to be polite kids. You're going to have good yeah. manners and you're going to work hard. You know, we, we teach those values in my household here. Good manners. You're not entitled to anything. You, you have to work for it. And you need to be appreciative and thankful, and good people, right? Who want to serve others. And you do that by not always thinking of yourself. Your title, your title, you think of yourself always. Well, what can I get? What do I deserve? No, no, no. It's about what you can do for other people, how you can serve, how you can use your talents that way with an open air of attitude and gratitude and all those types of things. So that's really important to us for sure. Jim, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and for being willing to uh, come on today and share some suggestions and tips for other families. I really appreciate you. I love being here. Great conversation. And I hope I said something of value for some of your listeners and some good takeaways. Thank you so very much. Yeah.